0: At first, the heat kissing his bare body burned it sharply and then the skin cells rejuvenated and blossomed into a deceptive shade of orange under the sun. The hot breeze kissed his calves and thighs. garden blew air into his feather pillow. The mushy air outside smelled as fresh as the sea compared to the chalky fumes inside his cell. His eyes searched open and his pupils dilated to take in every colour except for black and brown, of which he had grown tired of over the weekend in confinement. The quake in his palms and the feeling in his chest reminded him of the day he was let out from his foster home. His face was relaxed and spread into a smile seeing the outgrowth of weed by the edge of the path, feeling the cracks in the ground beneath his feet and hearing every noise that gently reverberated his eardrums. He rubbed his face with the back of his palms as he opened his eyes and scratched at his thigh wound to ease the itching. To escape the haunting odour, his mind had strolled far away from the cell. His legs staggered like he had forgotten walking. Both his knees hurt now after fighting with Jung the other day. Even far from the commode, the smell arrested his senses. He raised his arms and poked his nose in. The stink was coming from him. Naked, he crossed the yard. Sand nipped at his heels as he went to get into the shower. The glistening sun was more overheard than it was supposed to be. He was late, but nothing mattered as long as no one bothered him. As he walked farther from his cell, he reminisced about his time, his confinement. Inside, he was livid at first and then tormented. He wished for darkness to suck his soul out through his shrieking mouth. However, he had turned quiet. All his agitation was misplaced. He realised and was coming from the wrong direction and going in the wrong way. At first he had wished for it to end, then he had wished it to never end. And by the time the sun rays hit his feet, he had no wishes left. To answer silence with silence was wiser. The bath stalls were empty when he peeped in. Every tap, cock valve and pipe dripped played an unsettling score of droplets in gravity until it twisted one shower knob. A thin stream of water shot out of the shower head. Gardan closed his eyes. A stream split around his mole and dripped down. Under the shower eyes closed, he felt someone's presence. It was Shahzad. Gardan wiped the water off his face and stared at him with reddened eyes. Shahzan stared back, a brown carton hanging from his hands. Gardan, like a dull ox, dipped his head back under the stream and quietly rubbed his hair. He looked back again and threw the stream at Shahzad, who still stood adamantly. Think again before you say something, stupid boy a washer with soiled, oily uniforms in its belly began rumbling in the next room. It overlapped every sound, even gardens. Do you think twice before giving us up? Shahzad tried speaking over the noise. What? Why would you say that? Why would I be here then? You see me living in this cave too, aren't you? He spoke and then stretched his palm out towards Shahzad for something. Where were you when we climbed inside? Shahzad asked, ignoring the pudgy arm reaching for him. You don't need to know that, he said dismissively. What took you so long to check in here? Shahzad continued his line of questioning, the washer's noise making it easier to hide his hesitation. You don't need to know that either, Gurdun replied, exasperated. His hand was shivering now, his patience draining faster than the leaking faucets. Dank odours stubbornly clung to him like as Shahzad persisted in his pestering. The cops, garden began. In that same moment, the washer in the next room hushed itself to silence. The cops were following me. He finally managed to answer, feeling more shameful for that than the fact that he was standing and facing the boy naked. The washer resumed his churning. Here, said Shahzad, reaching into his box. He slapped a fresh bar of soap in Gardan's hand. Then he watched Gardan shiver, his shaky hand slide around his chest in incomplete loops. Jasmine bloomed in the bath. The lather glided off his now glistening body and swam out the drain. So how long you in? Gardan asked without turning around. Shahzad walked him through every event since that night while arranging the bars of soap under each shower. You're one of them now, the bad boys, huh? Gardan asked. They like me. They know you too. We talked about you. They want to meet you," Shahzad said. Tell them I would like that," Gurdhan replied. (music) What? Shahzad paused. It's not a choice, he said as he walked out. Hey," Gardan called him. Where's the other boy? He got away, Shazad replied. Hmm. Where did you find him anyway? Shazad inquired. Inside a fridge. The tar for the governor of Inner Eleni to stand on was constructed out of hollow iron poles crisscrossed and shabbily stacked on each other. It stood half as high as the cliff, just like their governor had promised, meeting outer Eleni halfway. Like a step stool. It stood on a dune at the footsteps of that cliff and seemed farther from the building of Sector A than it actually was. The iron pole smoked hot in the afternoon heat. Its shadow in the one o'clock sun crept up to the backyard of the governor's office like a black carpet, where a horde of party workers in white had gathered to relentlessly chant victory slogans, their arms punching the air as they stood shoulder to shoulder. The stage was set for the annual meeting. On the low-lying land masses crowded up the turf with the sponsored demonstration boards in their hand women had gathered huddled around in rings their faces covered with scarves they distanced their children from the tune of their gossips and kept an eye on their husband's movement and their third children circled around the tents they were erected in a corner where a steamy prelude of a feast awaited they peeked inside heads first and then shoulders to try and reach for a delicacy till an adult chased them off with a stick or spatula. They menaced the cotton candy vendors and balloon vendors only to be shooed away like flies. Through the crowd of overexcited underpaid party workers, Kale paved his way out. The wristle in his mouth blared as he waved the crowd out of his way till a path marked by white chalk on the ground was visible. He had been overlooking the security since his appointment as an inspector. Once the way to the tower revealed itself in wide parallel lines, he turned around and waved. Out of nowhere and above every chant, a band now played a patriotic tune to which Dalip Raj, in his white dhoti and kurta, pranced off the stairs and began his march. The chants competed with the sounds of the band. Onlookers stared as the procession progressed with all the remaining pomp and inner elenai. Kale stood at the mouth of the parallel lines beneath the tar. His eyes fell on Ela Wanton and the sun imploding in her sunglasses. He sprinted to her and began explaining position schedule and preparedness like his job had asked him from him in the past. Ela, uninterested, peered at what was going to be the next day's front page news and walked back under the shade of the nearby tree. The procession was still where it had started. The only thing robbing the leap of his intended image of a monarch were the four jesters dancing on each of its sides. He noticed Ela and smiled in her direction. She did not know why she was there. All she knew was she ought to be seen there by her people. She observed Kale staring at his wristwatch and decidlingly, shufflingly, his feet in anticipation. She was overcome by the thought of Gardan kicking his guts. Ela turned to the other side, the upper side of the cliff where no excitement prevailed. Silence peeked down at them. Mobilizing the crowd towards the governor's office had raided a storm of dust. She took her glasses off and squinted her eyes. Men followed men, footsteps after footsteps. Chant, echoing chants. Dust underneath dust. A deafening bag echoed under the tar. Before anyone could turn around, a limp kale went flying in the air and thud on the ground. His soothed smitten body erased the white lines beneath him. Above him, the tower was lit up in black fumes and flames. Shrieks pierced to air instead of the chants, panic ensured. In a crowd of hundreds running away, only Eli had witnessed the base of the tower blow away like a lightning strike. But there was no light, only a sound and then fire. Now the tower stood crooked like Kale had. The crowd had gone haywire at the boom, White lines weren't so parallel anymore, and Kale slowly turned over and tried to rise off the ground. Blood trickled down his sleeves. Frightened and spooked, feet squashed his palm against the ground. Through the thin slits visible in the skewered chaos, he could see his target lying belly-flat on the ground. Ila too stood grounded, absorbing the pushes and jolts like a prominent ship. From the corner of her eye, she watched Kale usher the governor back. There was fear on Dalip's face, the kind of emotion she had never seen on him. For a moment, she did not move. She was vowing to paint that look on his face again. Dust settled and suit faded. Women and men sobbed alike from a distance. In the center lay a heap of fire surrounded by abandonment in the form of trampled footwear, dirty scarves, and mutilated human. One thing moved, Ela. She walked and then she ran through the mess, skipping run and red puddles, torn clothes, through rubble and over bodies, and went through a heap of dust. She clawed through the sand and grabbed something. It was a baby girl. Lost to unconsciousness and struggling to breathe, the poor thing hugged ila the moment she was in her arms. ila raised the unconscious kid to her waist and paced towards the building. Amid the wails of the crowd, the little baby groaned in pain. Her footwear and in one foot missing and the other one merely dangling. She skipped the steps leading up to the governor's building, lunged to the top and grabbed a kit out of Kale's hand who was bandaging the dumbstruck governor. People who had ran to a distance had followed her path and now stood by the building under the burning sky. They watched Ela dab and dust the girl clean. They witnessed her blow at her wounds and stroke the little girl's hair. The little soul was unconscious. Moments later, an ambulance arrived and carried the girl away. Ella stood up and looked at the murky smoke crawling up the cliff. A red balloon was soaring high in the air. Gardan You're amongst the first of the wards to be, you know. Old warden cleared his throat, released to inner Eleni. He was bald, weeny and confused. The stout boy with a beard-like body smiled. His dark hair was slicked back and the patchy beard on his chin ran down to his chest as he nodded. You have a legacy to make. You are eldest of them all. So stick together. Take care of each other. Gardan nodded again. A couple of silent moments passed between them. What's that smell? The warden sniffled and made a sour face. Get out of my office, you idiot. He cried. Gardan, who had hardly held his lips together, burst into laughter. It was echoed back by the boys loitering on the other side of the door. The warden watched from his chair as a gang of boys about to be men ran off laughing, cursing and slapping their palms. Their final lunch was served as usual in the courtyard. Only a couple of celebratory ribbons hung loosely by the gate. Garden and the lot sat right in the middle of a feast that was arranged for 80 or so foster boys. Their plates were overflowing with food. You! Garden pointed at the thin boy. Pass on the sweets. The boy froze like a scared goat. You want to die or what, boy? Garden threatened. The thin boy shook his head and tried to sneak past them. no, no! No! Gardhan grabbed him by the butt with his sticky hand. Sit, he said and pulled the boy down to sit with them. This is our farewell lunch, don't you know? While he spoke, every item on the boy's plate disappeared onto others. How old are you? Gardhan asked. Eleven. Boy, by the time you leave this place, I'll be a rich man with a bag, big house, and you'll come begging to me for a job, which I'll give to you gladly. You know Why? Because you fed me today. And what about a promotion? One of the boys asked. You can have if you dance for him that day. Another one added and the lot went rowdy. Gurdhan sucked the gravy off his finger and said, Go on. They made him dance. Later that afternoon, he was found dead in a bathroom, froth dripping down the side of his mouth. The farewell remained not so much of a farewell as it was reduced to a kicking off. For dinner, he sat across five beefy men and Shahzad. All their face bore resemblance to potatoes, swollen at some places and rotten at others. All guilty, of course. None of them used spoons. They licked the lentil soup off their plates like it was going to spill any second now. Boy says you robbed the wrong one. How did that happen? One of them with silver hair and bold red eyes asked. The rest of them, except Shahzad, snickered. Wrong map, Gadan replied map. The man looked at his mates who couldn't stop smiling. So, when they caught you, did you propose a parley? They laughed. Even Shahzad smirked a bit. So, where are you from? He asked. Sector E, Gerdan spoke. He still did not mind keeping his eyes level with the awful guy. Really? He asked. Never heard about you. Gardhan mouthed another morsel of mashed potatoes before speaking. I'm not the one who has been living literally under a stone. The table froze. Lentils too sp- splattered down from all sides. What did you say? The man threatened. He grabbed Gurdun's hand just when he was about to eat again. The gravy dripped down on Gurdun's pant where his wound was. Enough food for you. You're going to eat those words back first. Enough food for you, you're going to eat those words back first. Gadhan stared long enough to unnerve him before letting go of the spoon. It landed back into the puddle of gravy, making a splash. Meanwhile, a panicked Shahzad had shot out of his seat and was circling around in confusion. He sat back down when a guard whistled at them. Gadhan scowled at Shahzad before leaving the table. Gadhan kept walking brushing his canvas shoe soles against the asphalt. He ignored the laughter. How stupid it could turn if the news were made public, he thought. Of all the embarrassing outcomes, he could have never guessed this one. Ruby must have messed up with the maps, he guessed. He did well with whatever he had. And to be honest with himself, the money wasn't too much to cry over. But then again, his heart took a turn. What if it was his last chance What if he never got out? He had not given a thought to any of it except for his time in isolation. Three months, three months. The astrologer's prophecy haunted him. He had not admitted it but he had failed miserably. He had not aged the way he had imagined. Prison, on top of everything at his age, was wilder than a jungle. He had picked at his hair, bitten at his nails and punched the walls. There were times at night when his eyeballs eagerly waited to drown into the darkness of the cell. And finally there were haunting thoughts of her. Ela Wanton. She would be ready to pick him up again as soon as he stepped out of dark hope. The woman was a witch after his blood. He had realised one thing in the isolation. In or out, he was afraid of being alone. We have to do it right. It was Shahzad shouting. He had followed Gardan out. Gardan kicked the air and, like the swirling dust, he went spiralling in his thoughts. It was quite where he stood, except for the laughter that still rang in his one bad ear. An invisible force was pushing his brain from the inside. He quietly started walking back towards his cell. Mevi Junior stood terrified by the window while well. Devina and Amara sat holding each other's hands. Thankfully, the blast had occurred before they had left the office. The chamber was silent. Thick black eddies of smoke rising into the sky had jeered everyone's will. mebby Jr., in his white uniform, stood like a speckle in the blackened sky. Every tremor on his neck was visible. Finally, Devina stood up and straightened her expensive gown. She walked to her corner and began preparing drinks for everyone like the play was over, like every day was a blast for her. A beautiful white scarf around her neck waved as she moved. She handed Maybe a glass that he shakily accepted before taking his seat. Amara was silent. Her heart was beating hard. The police captain is here, sir. Maybe secretary passed through the intercom. Next moment, a tall man bashed into the chamber and saluted the governor. He was not wearing a uniform. There is no threat to you, sir. It was an isolated event, he said. Isolated, Captain Veer? A bomb blast occurred in Sector E last week. Now someone targeted me, Mabhi said. No connection is established yet, sir, Captain Veer replied. Then leave. Find something. Enough of his civil bullshit unrest. Devina calmed him down after the officer left. She gently rubbed her hand across his chest and made crooning sounds. I feel sick, maybe said. Call the doctor. Devina ordered out of panic, and the intercom replied with a prompt affirmation. Amara got up from her seat and snatched the glass out of Mebby's hand. A doctor arrived in no time with the sphygno-mammometer to measure Mebby's blood pressure. It was higher than normal, but Mebby seemed to be doing well. I'll take him home. You find out where the hell is Obil. Devina spoke as she led Mebby out of the chamber.